0: Father, we're looking forward to that role being called up yonder. We want our hearts to be sealed, our hearts to be ready to meet our king and our best friend. And so, Father, we're praying that through the power of your word this morning, you would speak to our hearts, you'd prepare us for that amazing day, that you prepare us for our life this week. And, Father, whatever thoughts may be going through our minds right now, we give you full permission to direct our attention to Jesus. We give you full permission to take control of our thoughts this morning. Father, pour out your Holy Spirit in this place in a powerful way that Jesus may be lifted up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's probably one of my worst nightmares my guess is that many of you have had the same nightmare, although I won't ask for a show of hands, because when I was at the Spanish group and I asked for a show of hands, they weren't willing to raise their hands, and that's okay. It's a bit embarrassing. But many people have this dream, I understand, and that is that you are in a public place. You're, you're in a group of people. Maybe it's some place that you frequent. For me, it's often that I'm preaching or that I'm talking to a group of people. And at first everything seems fine, I'm there talking or I'm walking past a group of people and then all of a sudden something comes to my attention that is a significant problem. Does anybody have any idea what it is? Serious problem. If it was happening this morning, it, we wouldn't be sitting here so calmly. Maybe you've never had a dream like this, but what happens in my dreams and I wish I could control it so it didn't happen but I'm standing there and I've forgotten my clothes. I'm standing there and I suddenly realize I have got to find clothes quickly, somewhere. And so I have dreams about running past people as fast as I can and trying to get to clothes and find clothes and put them on as fast as I can because to be without clothes is a shameful thing. And that dream is one that I do not enjoy, although I've had it several times in my lifetime. Maybe you've had the same dream. But how much worse when the reality strikes to the Laodicean church that we've been looking at over the past month or so in Revelation chapter 3. Go with me to Revelation chapter 3. Because here Jesus actually reveals to this church that they aren't just dreaming that they don't have any clothes on. But in reality, they are in a shameful condition of nakedness. Revelation chapter 3. We've talked about how Jesus says, I know your works. He knows what's going on in their lives. He understands what they've been doing, and yet they are lukewarm, he keeps telling them. So I wish that you were hot, but instead you're not, so I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And then verse 17 says, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, those last three, poor, blind, and naked, are specifically addressed in the next verse where Jesus gives the solution to these problems. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. It says, you're already naked. I want you to buy these white garments so that the shame of your nakedness isn't revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Now you'll be noticed, you may have noticed that we started with the eye salve. We started at the last part of the verse and now we're going to be talking about those white garments. Now the reason that we do this is when you look at Hebrew thought, in our English way of thinking, we tend to think from cause to effect, right? I kicked the ball, it broke the window, we reason from the cause to the effect, But in Hebrew thought, you'll often notice when you're reading through the Old Testament, and sometimes it seeps over in the New Testament, especially a book like Revelation, which quotes so much from the Old Testament, you'll notice that they actually start with the effect, and then they go to the cause. So it would be, the window is broken... And it was because I kicked the ball. Does that make sense? So it's in the reverse order. So here we find that first of all, the first thing that they need is they need eye They need to have their eyes open so that they recognize their condition. We've talked about that for a few weeks. And now when they have recognized that condition, the next step is for them to be clothed with white garments. Then after that, we'll get to the gold of character. All right, so... Let's go to look at what this, these white garments are. We've talked a little bit about this before, but go with me to Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 and 8 gives this beautiful picture of that soon coming day. Maybe that day that the song is talking about when the roll is called up yonder. Verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. It's using a a marriage symbolism here. It's using the the symbolism of a a wedding. Her wife, his wife has made herself ready. In verse 8, it describes what the wife is like. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in what? Fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So when we look in the book of Revelation, and it talks about white robes, it talks about God's people being clothed in white robes, the scripture reading this morning from Ephesians chapter 5 says that God's church is His beautiful bride that will be without spot and without blemish, that He will sanctify His church. That church, when it is pictured as wearing white robes, what is that representative of? Their righteous acts. And what is the problem of Laodicea? Their lukewarm acts. Do you see why Laodicea is naked? They don't have these righteous acts on. They're not living a life of loving service to God and man. Last week, talked about how when uh, Doctor Knight talked about how when it talks about a robe that's without spot, it's talking about a proactive Christianity. They will know that we are His disciples by the way we love. This isn't about having a checklist that we check off and we, we figure out all the things that we shouldn't be doing. It's about living a life of radical love. When we love radically, all these things will fall into place. But here it is, it's saying that the white robe that, that they have to be wearing at that wedding feast is the righteous acts of the saints. How important is this robe to be wearing? Go with me to Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew 22, Jesus tells a story about a king who calls for a special marriage feast. And he invites a bunch of people to come to this marriage feast. The first group that he sends out, they make all kinds of excuses. And so he sends out again and eventually he says, well, well then go out to the highways and byways and invite As many as you find to come in to enjoy this marriage feast. We got the the food together, we have it ready. Invite anybody who's willing to come in and celebrate this special day with us. So, in in Matthew chapter 22, we'll pick up the story. Verse 10: These servants go out. So, these servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. So here it is, all of them come in, but then we find something where the king comes to see who has come to the wedding feast. Verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he comes to just see who's going to be there, who's who's come in, who's a part of this. When he came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see how essential it is to have this wedding garment on, to have this this character that's a Christ-like character. When it comes to that wedding feast, we have to be found clothed in white on that day. Jesus is clear. Jesus is clear when He reveals it to John, and He's clear in this parable here that that wedding garment that the King offered freely to everyone there to be wearing, if they weren't wearing it, it was a significant problem to not have it on. Jesus furthermore says in Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15. Jesus is speaking when He says, Behold, I am coming. When you look at the signs in the world today, is it clear that Jesus is coming soon? When you see all that's going on in the world, it's clear that Jesus coming is soon. He says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. When Jesus comes back, he doesn't want for you and I to be in that state like I am in my worst nightmare, where I'm standing there completely ashamed, wondering where my clothes are. Jesus wants us to be ready. He wants us to be clothed in this white, pure, spotless linen. He wants us to be ready to meet our King, ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. So when I read stuff like this, it makes me want to ensure that I'm ready for that day. How about you? It makes me want to be sure that I have that robe on. Jesus says, watch. I'm coming quickly. I'm going to come as a thief. It's going to be unexpected to so much of the world. They're not going to realize that I'm there. So you be watching. And you make sure that you've got your garments on. Make sure that you're ready for this day. So how do we make sure that we've got the right robes on? How do we make sure that that we have the righteous acts of the saints? Does it just mean that I need to be sure that I'm keeping all the commandments, that I, I work harder at making sure that I do everything right? What does it mean to be wearing this robe of righteousness? Go with me to Genesis chapter 3. I think what's helpful for us is to recognize how we lost this robe in the first place. In order to know how we can get it back, we need to see what was it that took place that separated us from this beautiful garment that God always intended for us to wear. In Genesis, the first and second chapter, you know the story of God creating this perfect planet. First, He creates all the creatures on the planet and the plants on the planet. And then, He creates Adam. And then, Adam goes with Jesus and they're there. There's close friends and they're walking around. They're naming the creatures. But Adam notices that there's something missing. Where is his partner? And so God creates Eve for him. And after all of this, God sees all the creation. He sees all that he's created. And it was good. Then something happens in Genesis chapter 3. God had given them one opportunity, one chance of loyalty. There was the tree in the very center of the garden. They were told to fill the earth, to subdue it. They were to do all kinds of great things with their lives, to eat from every tree in the garden. But there was just this one place where God said, I've got to give you this opportunity to choose whether you want loyalty to me or whether you want another kingdom, another way. So he put that one tree in the garden, the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, just don't take from the fruit of that one tree. Just stay away from that tree and all will be good. But you know the story. As Eve is wandering through the garden one day, she looks at the tree and there she sees that beautiful creature, the serpent. It was the most beautiful of creatures at that time and sees it. And not only is it beautiful, but it begins to talk to her and it begins to plant seeds of doubt about the Word of God and about God's truthfulness, about what God had for Eve's life. That's what so often happens in our lives. The enemy comes and he presents these beautiful things to us, and then he says, Wait, did God really say that this is going to hurt you, that this is going to mess up your life? And at this point, Eve believes the serpent. She takes the fruit. And let's read what happens in verse 6 of Genesis 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she's really deceived. She took its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then verse 7. Something significant happens at this moment in time. It may not have occurred at that it may not have occurred for a little space of time but eventually something takes place that forever changes their lives. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. It's that moment, that moment of shock, that moment of shame when you're you're standing there and everything feels like it's supposed to be normal and suddenly you realize you are in a shameful condition. You don't have any clothes on. You're naked and exposed. There Adam and Eve are. And they're recognizing we have got a significant problem. So what do they do? Verse 7 continues. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. You know, in my dream it never works out so well. I try really hard to make some sort of covering, to find some sort of covering, to cover myself up, and it usually doesn't work out so well. But here Adam and Eve are wise, they know the trees in the garden, and they know that the fig leaves are the biggest leaves that they're gonna be able to find in the garden. They take these leaves and and they've probably never sewed leaves together before, but here they are and they're taking the leaves and they're sewing them together and they're, they're saying, we've got to do something. We've got to make something to cover ourselves. And th- these are big leaves and maybe this will help. And they're, they're sowing. I can only imagine how long it took them. As they're there just frantically, maybe hiding behind a bush as they try to sow these, these leaves. And they're trying to get it all together and trying it on. No, that doesn't work. I'm still exposed. And they're, they're trying to get more leaves. They're trying to add more to their... And they're sowing, they're sowing, they're sowing. They're trying to make up for what has happened. That garment of light is gone. That garment of God's glory. And you know it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from His loving presence. Sin separates us from His glory. And that's what they were experiencing. But in the midst of experiencing that, what do they do? They go and they try to cover up. They try to make things right. They try to fix everything in the moment, in their own way, and in their own strength. How many times have you done this in your life? How many times have I done this? As a kid, when I broke my parents' lamp in the living room, immediately running and trying to grab the glue, trying to put it together as fast as I can, trying to pretend it didn't happen. Maybe if I just turn the lamp around, nobody will see it's not a problem, everything's okay. And we come to church and we try to pretend like everything's okay. I've covered it up. I've, I'm, I'm looking good today. I'm smiling on the outside. Nobody can tell the shame that's in my soul. We're really good at trying to hide, at trying to cover up, at trying to make clothes to cover up our mistakes, at trying to do the right thing in order to make amends for what we did in the past. Maybe we've hurt somebody, so we give them gifts, or we try to do things right in the future and just hope that that'll just make things right. But you know the feeling in your heart that shame doesn't go away easily. And this is what Adam and Eve experience is they sew these, these clothes and imagine it probably looked pretty funny. They've never seen clothes before. They've never made clothes before. But here they are and they've, well, that'll work. It's covering our whole bodies now. We're okay. We're not, we're not feeling naked anymore. And it's probably a little hard to walk around in the stuff that they've made. And imagine that it, it wasn't all that comfortable. I've heard before that fig leaves wouldn't be very comfortable To wear. I don't know as I've never tried to wear them before. But then verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They recognized that noise. They recognized God walking in the garden because they'd gone on walks with God before. They had a close, intimate connection with God. They knew God. And it shouldn't be a problem, right? Because here they are. They're doing what's right. They've covered themselves. Isn't the shame of their nakedness gone at this point? They've, they've begun to do the right thing. But look at what they do. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Did their fig clothes work? God, answered, or God speaks up in verse 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam and He said to him, Where are you? God is so gracious. He knew exactly where they are. He knew exactly what they've done. But he gives them that opportunity to themselves acknowledge what had taken place. Verse 10, so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was what? Naked. Now is Adam naked at this point? Adam's wearing a garment that he sewed together of massive fig leaves that's covering his body. He has tried to cover it up, and yet he tells God, God, I'm naked. I'm ashamed. I still am lacking something. And I hid myself. Notice the first thing that Adam and Eve try to do. They try to hide. They try to make up for what they've done wrong. They try to do what's right in their own strength. There's two different errors that we can fall into, and this is the first one, and that is trying to keep the commandments in our own strength, trying to make up for our lost connection with God in our own strength, trying to do everything right so that we can be ready for that day when Jesus comes. We're going to be the perfect person, like Dr. George Knight talked about last week. We're going to do whatever it takes to be all that God calls us to do, and we're going to do it, or we're going to die in the process. Here Adam and Eve are, and they're trying to do that But yet, when God shows up in all of His beauty, and all of His holiness, when God comes to the garden, they realize we're naked. Even though we've tried, our righteousness, as Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. These fig leaves just aren't cutting it. We're still naked. We're still ashamed. In high school, I took a, a home ec class. And in that home ec class, they began to teach us sewing. Now, as they were teaching us sewing, they started off with simple things, maybe like sewing on a button or something like that. And then one day came when the teacher said, okay, we're going to do a special project to finish off our sewing section. And I thought, this is going to be exciting. What are they going to have us make? And so she showed us the pattern. I said, what is that? I don't even recognize that. Well, those are going to be shorts. You're going to sew some shorts together. And she brought out the fabric, it was like this tie-dye cotton material, and said, you're going to use this tie-dye cotton material, and you are going to sew shorts. I said, wow, that's awesome, I can't wait to get my own pair of shorts. And so I began to take those, and I began to cut them according to the pattern, and I began to go over this sewing machine, and trying to sew, but I can't get it to go straight, and so pretty soon I'd be calling the girls in the class over, hey, could you come help me with this seam? I don't... They'd I see what you're doing. Let me help you out here. And they'd back it up a little bit and they'd help me to get the the seam in. And then pretty soon I'd be trying on another section and I'd call another person over, could you help me with this part? I'm not very good at sewing at all. But after a while, I finally was able to sew it together with all of their help. And finally I had my shorts. I have a picture of them for you today. They're tie-dye shorts. I was actually quite proud of these shorts, so proud of these shorts that I wore them to school the very next day. I came to school and I was showing everybody that I had these shorts. Check out my shorts. I made these in home ec class. They're, aren't they amazing shorts? Well, only the girls in the class knew the secret that I really was a terrible seamstress. I was no good at sewing whatsoever. It was only because they had helped me. But yet... That year, when it came to the end of the class, they handed out the sewing award for the best sewer in the class. Can you guess who got the best sewer award? That guy got it. I got the award for being the the best seamstress, I don't know what you call it when it's a guy, but the best person at sewing in our class. And then later I found out it was because her daughter was also in the class and she said, you know what? Nobody else was excited about their shorts, but Zach, I think you should give him the award. I thought that I'd done a good job. I thought that they were wonderful shorts, and I thought that I was pretty good at sewing. Adam and Eve thought that they were pretty good at sewing. They thought that they had this covering that was going to work out for them. They thought that this would make up for their nakedness. But when God showed up, they found out that it wasn't cutting it at all. So the next step for them should have been to go to God and say, God, we've messed up. We need your help. We're naked. We need you to fix this problem. But instead, they do the second thing that you and I often do when we've made mistakes. Genesis chapter 3 continues. Verse 11. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? He expresses the the significant problem in the situation. Verse 12 continues, Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. You see what he's doing? Rather than saying, Yes, God, I did. I I went and I ate of the tree. Can you please help me fix this problem? Instead, he begins to make excuses. Well, God, it's this woman. The woman that you created, you gave me this woman. She's the one who gave me the fruit. God, it's your fault. So, God continues in verse uh, 13, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. That beautiful serpent, God, the one that you created, you know, you put it in the garden. God, that serpent is the one who deceived me. And I ate of the fruit. Verse 13, and the Lord God, well, sorry, we read verse 13. So verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, You are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. And on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. God reveals, first of all, to the serpent the drastic consequences of sin. What's going to take place, even in the natural order, because Adam and Eve have rejected God's loving government. But in the midst of revealing what's going to take place, and He goes on to reveal to the woman, to reveal to the man, In reverse order, this is what's going to take place in your life. This is what you're going to suffer. These are the consequences that you will face. In the midst of all of that, verse 15 comes. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he, singular, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. There's going to come a Savior, one of Eve's descendants, and He's going to come and He's going to crush your kingdom. And I'm going to put enmity between those people who have chosen the serpent and the serpent. I'm going to put enmity between the devil and my people. I'm going to put a separation between them and I'm going to reunite them with myself. Right in the midst of revealing the consequences of sin, God reveals this beautiful promise of what He longs to do. And then God gives the symbol of how he actually does this. But first, let's look at something from God's Amazing Grace, page 24. It talks about what took place when Adam and Eve sinned and then when they began to sow these fig leaves on themselves. But when sin entered, they severed their their connection with God and the light that had encircled them departed. Naked and ashamed, they tried to supply the place of the heavenly garments by sewing together fig leaves for a covering. It was because of that separation from God, that connection that was gone, that's what caused their nakedness. And for you and I, that is what causes the shame. That's what causes the guilt, is our separation from the loving presence of Jesus. Sin separates us from God. goes on to say in the Reviewing Herald, About this same thing. This is the covering that the transgressors of the law of God have used since the day of Adam and Eve's disobedience. They have sewed together fig leaves to cover their nakedness caused by transgression. The fig leaves represent the arguments used to cover disobedience. Do you see how this takes place in our lives? We disobey, and immediately we, first of all, try to fix the problems, we try to to keep the commandments, we try to follow God. Or else we begin to make excuses like Adam and Eve. We begin to make all these arguments about why we fell and why it's not really our fault and why it's okay what we've done. Praise God that He has a solution. And He goes on to give Adam and Eve the solution. Not just a promise of the coming solution, but a real, actual solution for what Adam and Eve are going through. They're facing nakedness. They're facing shame. And God doesn't just say, hey, I promise you that Jesus is going to come. And Jesus is going to take care of your sins someday. But for now, you've got to live naked. I'm sorry. You're just going to have to go on in your nakedness. God doesn't leave us in our sin. God wants to rescue us from our sin. And go to Genesis chapter 3, and we'll see in verse 21 how he does this. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothe them. Isn't that beautiful? God himself, it says, he saw Adam and Eve that they're still naked, they're covered there in their fig leaves. He says, okay, I see what you've tried to do. I see that you tried to cover yourself up, but let me help you out here. Revelation talks about the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. He gives them this beautiful picture of Christ right there at the beginning. He says, let me help you out can only imagine what that was like. Because in order for God to form these garments of skin, He would have had to have had an animal be put to death. Maybe He took Adam and Eve over and took them to one of those lambs that Adam had named just a few days prior. And took Adam and said, at this point, because of your sin, because of the future promise, I need you to slit the throat of this lamb. Imagine the the turmoil in Adam's heart as he saw death for the very first time. He saw what his sin had done. He saw what it was going to cost Jesus. But then God takes that sacrifice and He takes it And it's no longer Adam and Eve there sewing and trying to figure out how they can make just the right garment to cover themselves. But God knows their size. God knows their shape. God knows what situations they'll face in their life. God knows that when they walk out of the Garden of Eden, the temperature's not gonna be perfect anymore. They're gonna face cold nights. They're gonna face hot days. And so God himself makes them a garment of skin. And then he himself takes it and he fits it on them. Like the master tailor, he, he comes to them and he says, here, try this one out. Try this garment out because this one will actually cover your nakedness. This one will actually take care of your shame. So no wonder in John chapter 1 and verse 29 when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of of the world. Jesus came. He took on your sin and my sin. He came to take it away from us. He gave His life, Romans talks about, He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He made this incredible exchange so that you and I could have a covering that only God could put together. It goes with me to Colossians chapter 3. Here it pictures what Christ is longing to do in our lives, how He's longing to hide us, to hide our shame. Colossians chapter 3, and verse 1, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. For you died, and your life is what? Hidden with Christ in God. See what Paul is saying? He says, you are no longer living your own life. When you're baptized and you come up, you come to walk in newness of life. It's no longer your life. He says elsewhere that we are crucified with Christ. Therefore, we no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives in us. In the life which we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Here he says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God hidden in the cleft of the rock, you no longer have to be ashamed. You no longer have to deal with that condemnation because you have this real covering of Christ in your life. That is what Jesus died to give to you and me. And it's real. It's powerful. It's transformative. Back in God's amazing grace, I wanted to read a little bit more to you from page 24. It says, There is nothing in us from which we can clothe the soul that, is naked, that its nakedness shall not appear. We are to receive the robe of righteousness woven in the loom of heaven, even the spotless robe of Christ's righteousness. Jesus lived a perfect life. He loved lavishly. He never fell short of God's glory. Throughout His life, He lived the life that you and I are called to live. And He offers you and I that perfect spotless robe like the spotless robe from the beautiful lamb that was put on Adam and Eve. God has made ample provision that we may stand perfect in His grace, wanting in nothing, waiting for the appearing of our Lord. Are you ready? Have you the wedding garment on? That garment will never cover deceit, impurity, corruption, or hypocrisy. This garment is something real. It's something actual. For Adam and Eve, they weren't just left there with their fig leaves, but God came and He gave them a real robe that really helped them to live their lives. As they walked out of the garden, they were warm in the cold nights. They were shielded from the sun by their garment. They had Christ's righteousness by faith in their lives. This is what God longs to do for us. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, God reveals this beautiful process of salvation. Ephesians 2 and verse, let's see. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Adam and Eve didn't sew those garments. They didn't do anything to make those garments a reality in their life. It was a complete gift of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9 continues, Not of works, lest anyone should boast. It wasn't any longer what Adam and Eve had sewed together, but now it was what God had made. In the same way in our lives, God calls us to a life that's no longer about what we have done, but about what Christ is doing through us. About how Christ is loving the world around us. Look at verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared for you a beautiful, clean, white robe. The question is, are you, am I, are we wearing this robe today? Are we trusting in Christ's righteousness in His righteousness alone to be what sees us through the end? Are we allowing Him to love through us? Or are we, like Adam and Eve, fashioning fig leaves, trying to cover up our nakedness, trying to pretend like we've got it all together? Or maybe we're pretending like Adam and Eve that we can make excuses. Well, God, You created me this way. I have all these tendencies. I have this temper. I have this lust problem. I have all these things in my life. God, There's nothing I can do about it. Maybe we're making excuses. There's two sides of the coin, but both of them cause a significant problem. Both of them distract us from Christ and Christ's righteousness. When I went to get married in 2007, you know how the wedding process goes. It was actually sped up for us. Um, My parents suggested that we get married at Christmas, and so we began to make wedding plans quickly. We'd gotten engaged in August, and so we were working on putting together the plans for our wedding, and thankfully I had an amazing mother-in-law and an amazing wife who took care of so many of the details. But at that point in time, Leah knew that in high school I had gotten the sewing honor. her. So you would think, I mean, the wedding is expensive. There's a lot of different expenses, but one of the most significant, guys you may not realize this, ladies realize this, but the significant expense in a wedding, one of the big ones, is a wedding dress. I knew how to sew. <laughs> I went to through home economics, I used a sewing machine, I had friends who helped me make my seams straight. But my wife didn't even come to me and ask, would you like to make my wedding dress for me? I'm not sure why. She'd seen my shorts, I'd actually proudly showed her my shorts. I'll put them up there for you again. I mean, a guy that can make shorts like this, why wouldn't a guy be able to make a wedding dress? But on that wedding day, I'll put a couple pictures up of our wedding, when Leah came down the aisle, we were all thankful that she hadn't chosen me to sew her wedding dress. We are thankful that she chose a professional, that she chose somebody who knew what they were doing. As the doors opened, as she began to come down the aisle, my mom was on one side of me and my dad was on the other side. And I didn't see what they were doing. But when I saw that was my wife coming down the aisle, I was in tears. It was amazing to see my pure and spotless, my beautiful bride coming down that aisle. Leah later told me my parents were also crying. They were so happy that I actually got a good girl, and a, a girl that they were excited to call their daughter-in-law. Jesus wants a beautiful, spotless bride, and he's wise enough not to trust you to do the sewing for your wedding garment. He wants to sew it all for you. He wants to give you a beautiful white robe that will see you through the end. The question is, will we trust in him? Will we let him be the one to make our wedding garment? Christ Object Lessons, page 311, says, "...by His perfect obedience He has made it possible for every human being to obey God's commandments. When we submit ourselves to Christ, the heart is united with His heart. The will is merged in His will. The mind becomes one with His mind. The thoughts are brought into captivity to Him. We live His life." They actually wore the lamb that represented Jesus. They actually walked around wearing the skins that represented Jesus, are you and I wearing that same garment today? Am I so united to Jesus that it's no longer Him, it's no longer me that lives, but He that is living out His life in me? This is what it means, it goes on to say, to be clothed with the garment of His righteousness. Then as the Lord looks upon us, He sees not the fig garment leaf, not the nakedness and deformity of sin, but His own robe of righteousness, which is perfect obedience to the law of Jehovah. He calls us to be the people who keep the commandments of God and who have the faith of Jesus. How is your faith today? Are we trusting in Jesus' righteousness? Psalm 71 and verse 16, the psalmist says, I go in the strength of the Lord God. I will tell of His righteousness and His righteousness only. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30, it tells us that in Christ, in God Christ is made to us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. Jesus is all of that. We just have to put Him on. We have to go in His strength. We have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And rather than fixing our eyes on the checklist, trying to figure out if we've mastered uh, our robe and made sure that it's spotless, sewing our fig leaves together, we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and say, Jesus, today would you help me to walk more closely with you, to be more closely united with you so that it's your strength it's your love that people see. It's your life and not my life. It comes through drawing close to the Savior. One last verse in 1 John chapter 3. Here, John is describing what sin is. In verse 4, he says, "...whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that He was manifested," verse 5 continues, "...to take away our sins. And in Him there is no sin." The Lamb of God was brought, He was shown to us to take away our sins so we don't have to live in shame and live in nakedness anymore, but we can face life with Christ as our strength. So then he goes on to say this in verse 6. Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Him nor known Him. You see that when we come to the place where we know Jesus as our personal friend, where we're abiding in Him, we're actually wearing Christ. The New Testament actually talks about that and we'll talk about that in future weeks. We're actually putting on Christ in our lives. The Bible promises that we'll no longer sin, that we'll live lives of love. It'll no longer be selfishness. It'll no longer be about us because Christ will then be living out His life, His will in us. But it doesn't come from focusing on ourselves. It comes from focusing on Jesus and His righteousness. This is an important topic. It talks about, in the faith I live by, page 111, that in the end, this is going to be one of the most important things that the enemy seeks to distract us from. The thought that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us, not because of any merit on our part, but as a free gift from God is a precious thought. Isn't it beautiful to know that it's all about his righteousness, that he has a beautiful robe for you, that he has a garment for you, that he has strength for your life? It's a precious thought. The enemy of God and man is not willing that this truth should be clearly presented for he knows that if the people receive it fully, his power will be what? Broken. Friends, I believe this is a crucial point for us not to miss. It's all about Jesus and what He can really do in your life and my life. And when we experience this in its fullness, the power of Satan will be broken, and we will no longer be slaves to his deceptions, to his uh, false things that he presents to us as being so appetizing. So this morning... I want to put on that robe in a fresh way. I want to make sure that I'm abiding, that I'm remaining in that saving relationship with Jesus. If that's your desire, as we bow our heads and pray, I just want to invite you to raise your hand with me. Father, we're raising our hands to heaven, recognizing that we don't have the strength, recognizing that we're called to to watch because You're coming as a thief in the night. It'll be unexpected to this world, but You're coming and You said we need to have our garments ready. Jesus, we're raising our hands because we don't have what it takes. We're not very good at sowing fig leaves to cover up our shame. So we're asking that You would increase our faith in Your righteousness, in Your power, in that precious free gift that You want to give to us, of living your life and loving this world the way you've loved it. Thank you, Father, for giving us that gift freely in Christ. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.